future is now and it's powered by AI. Join us today as we explore how artificial intelligence is changing our world. My name is Nirvan Bomik, and we also have George Inakwe, and we're your hosts for the show. So George, what will our listeners learn from this episode? AI is starting to take over many industries, possibly even our jobs. After this episode, our listeners will learn about how AI works, the impact it has on our society, including job displacement or enhancement, and its future development so we can be better prepared for what's to come. If you're curious to know about whether AI is transforming our world for the better or worse, you definitely want to stay tuned to this episode. Before we introduce our guest for today, we want to encourage you to like this, subscribe to this channel. That would help the algorithm boost our channel to other viewers just like yourself. So Anirban, who do we have on the show today? Today, we have an AI expert, Rene Pasula. Rene is an AI research scientist at JP Morgan's AI research team, mainly focused on harnessing the potential of foundation models such as ChatGPT to make sure those models are used in a safe way and fair and ethical way as well. Rene had a quickly upward moving career in the energy industry, but he quit after he found his passion to pursue AI and its application for his full-time career. He received his master's in computer science from UC Berkeley, specifically focused on artificial intelligence. He published papers on deep learning, reinforcement learning, lifelong learning, and foundational models. Those are all key features to make sure that artificial intelligence is running intelligent. We'll get to that later. Also, on his free time, he enjoys being a nature, reading classical literature, and listening to live music. So welcome to our show, Pernay. Thanks for having me, George and Anirban. I really appreciate being here, and I'm looking forward to answering questions that come my way. Awesome, awesome. Welcome, mate. Before we start off, go into the meat of questions, we do have a fun part of our podcast where we get to ask guests some cool, funny icebreaker questions. So for yourself, so if you could create an AI program to do one thing for you, what would it be? And why? Yeah, so there's there's kind of two parts to this question, but they relate to the same thing. So I'm very passionate about the advancement of AI. And so actually, in some sort of meta sense, having an AI that could very well provide me with a curriculum, which is also a field of AI known as curriculum learning, that would most efficiently allow me to uh, learn how to push AI further um, in safe, ethical, responsible ways. And maybe also plan my agenda for the day. Secondly, since I play tennis pretty seriously, having a curriculum for that as well, and uh, being able to balance the both, among other things. We have AI models that are, are large enough to do all of these things, really, and more. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, I know you and I go way back, and I knew you as an engineer, and then I know your career went totally towards AI which is still part of engineering, but it was, you know, before AI, it was more in the oil and gas industry. So I wanted to let the listeners understand about your career path and how did you get into AI? So, so I started off working at Shell Oil Company. And what I noticed pretty early on was that there's a huge amount of equipment working at refineries and chemical plants and, and oil rigs uh, that are sensing data real time and storing it. And that decisions that were of, of incredible importance because of the scale uh, and the severity of operations going on um, were often being made by looking at maybe one, two, potentially three data points, but God knows like how much humans can handle when it comes to looking at, at these data streams. Uh, trying to figure out a way that I could leverage the thousands potentially of data points that were being captured uh, in a way that would be useful to uh, the outcomes that we were trying to achieve, which are several, but for the most part, um, running more efficiently, reliably, safely, 
So, but we all, a lot of us learned about linear regression and then like kind of forgot about it. And that was a tool that I had been using even before I learned about quote AI, which in some sense, a lot of AI is linear regression. Um, so I expanded upon that and came across this course by Professor Andrew Ng at Stanford University called Machine Learning. And the premise of machine learning is be able to leverage nowadays very large amounts of different variables or what is known as features in AI lingo to build a predictive model so that for future purposes, when you get those same features again, but you don't know the outcomes, you can predict those outcomes with that predictive model. Uh, that proved to have huge successes in a number of different applications uh, across Shell. Um, it was scale, certain applications were scaled throughout North America. And then I found out about deep learning, which was able to do that with much more data and provide much more expressivity in the model outputs. So you essentially just had more powerful functions that were able to give you more accurate outputs. Now you're able to ha handle things such as image data, noise data, and those have also had incredible outcomes. So what I wanted to do is pursue a more fundamental understanding of what's going on under the hood. And uh, really, wow, it's, uh, it's incredible how quickly that these fields have proliferated through the, the real world um, faster than I could have ever imagined. I appreciate that. That, that definitely makes sense. And I think that's also a perfect preamble to, to my question. So I know you spoke about just your introduction through, um, to AI when you worked at Shell. Um, one thing I, I did hear you say was machine learning. Can you differentiate between the both of them? Because it seems like the both of them are used interchangeably. So from your experience, how does AI differ from machine learning? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question, George. And it's, and it's one that's a little nuanced that AI and machine learning are, are used interchangeably. But um, there is a differentiation between the two from my standpoint. Machine learning is is more heavily focused on this you know, building predictive models, the data that's being fed in and or the data that's being output. Now, artificial intelligence encompasses that in a way so that it includes things such as sensing. So what are the sensing devices that are being used to capture different kinds of data? Uh, so sensing goes along the lines of perception. You know, you'll have something like an autonomous vehicle that not only is running machine learning models uh, real time, but is also doing things such as uh, perception, such as behavioral planning. Machine learning doesn't really dive into that. It assumes that you've gotten the data or that you are generating said data. I appreciate you sharing that, the distinction between artificial intelligence and machine learning. How is it being used in the finance industry? So the sensors are going to be a bit different than, than what you'll find in the oil and gas or petrochemical industry, right? Within finance, now the sensing is is maybe something along the lines of what are we using to collect data? So that could be humans that are going out there and actually collecting this data. That could be a, a lot of this stuff is, is going to be logged just automatically because of regulatory compliance, et cetera, reasons. And so we take it for granted, but things like transaction data, um, there are sensing devices for those. There are sensing devices for where a particular transaction takes place. And that allows us to do things such as, hey, this person has had thousands of transactions within California, and now all of a sudden they're having transactions within Brazil every now and then, as well as California around the same time, maybe this is, uh, this is quite anomalous. Uh, maybe their, their credit card has been stolen because it's very difficult for someone to be able to physically 
transact both in Brazil and California within minutes apart from one another. And so, bam, it'll get flagged for fraud right away. So, th- so there's kind of like this this generalization of sensing uh, to one aspect when it comes to at least like perception. Um, now, for machine learning itself, it's again assuming that you know, we have this data of uh, this person is already in Brazil. The machine learning model just takes that data as given, and what the people that are working with that model aim to do is based on some amount of domain expertise as well as generalized algorithms. Uh, one with domain expertise, identify hey if you have a uh, frequency of say like a shifting frequency between locations that differ far and far apart from one another, flag this as fraud. Or instead, there are also machine learning models. In particular, earlier I was talking about supervised learning models. Well, generative AI is often a paradigm in machine learning known as unsupervised, uh, where the labels for the data or like the particular outcomes of the data that we want to train the model on are not explicitly given a priori. These can do things such as, hey, this is anomalous behavior based on the other data points that we've gotten. Let's flag that and block the credit card until we can contact the user to see what's going on. And not only is this happening from like a lower level client user, but it's happening from a a much higher like, so like anti-money laundering schemes, anti-fraud at a large scale. And as a result, being able to use that data downstream even more so, so that we can build models on how much we trust certain clients, certain benefactors, uh, et cetera. I like how you spoke about just how the proactive assessment of what AI represents. So it's like you're trying to predict and act before an action even takes place. So that's really cool. And that leads perfectly to my next question. So uh, I know AI has been the most trending topic of 2023. And, you know, with that um, notoriety comes fear because people don't really understand what it represents. So um, can you sort of speak to how AI is being used to improve our daily lives like what are some examples good examples of ai yeah sure so i can speak both in the context of say finance or also more generally but uh, one thing to preface with is i think uh, there's a lot of focus on ai now especially because of the explosion of these large language models such as chat gpt gpt4 that have been presented in a way that's very understandable uh, in this natural language way that people are able to interact with, it's essentially this chatbot, and it's able to do a lot of things. In some sense, a paradigm shift. Regardless, AI has actually been around for uh, quite some time now, an influential sense, nearing 10 years now, really, starting about five to six years ago. There's been a lot of good that AI has brought about, such as uh, things like targeted advertising, um, targeted recommendations on YouTube, on Netflix people to follow. So many, many other positives of AI, such as, uh, again, we can go financial. So that's uh, helping people make better investments, helping people with personal finance in terms of what types of loans should they be taking, what types of assets should their retirement or their personal portfolio uh, take on based on where they're at, what level of risk they're willing to take on slash should take on based on what their income and savings and lifestyle are like. And having these kinds of things continuously learn over time and improve uh, so that they can get to output better and better predictions for people are, are just, just some of the really millions of ways at the moment that, that AI has been helping. 
I like that you shared the positives. Can you share your ways of how AI is being used in unintended negative consequences? And like, what can we learn from those experiences? Yeah, I think it's very important, um, even from George's question earlier, when mentioning skepticism, and, and then you just mentioning your reservations, uh, it's very important to have these, especially when we have such powerful technologies. Uh, that are coming about because there are going to be bad actors. And not only that, they're going to be good actors that are going to, for whatever reason, have unintended outcomes. And those unintended outcomes may be harmful. One that I think is going to be of, of, of much and much more importance is this generation of fake media, essentially imperceptible to the human eye. So uh, around a year and a half, I researched deep fake detection on images and videos and then also explored multiple modalities such as integrating speech and uh, also even integrating the language that was being spoken if we were to extract from the video what the language outputs were from said video. And this is kind of like a uh, virus to uh, antivirus defender game, uh, not to, to, to trivialize its importance, but more so from like a game theoretic standpoint. Uh, it's just as one gets better, the other is going to get better. And so it's about how do the research and applied communities uh, ensure that there is a certain level of proactive robustness towards detecting these, quote, deepfake technologies and I think one thing that we need to realize is that we didn't evolve in a world for these kinds of things. We evolved in a world where what we saw is what we believed right away and we have an emotional response right away. And generally, to a certain extent, we, we want to act right away on that emotional response as well. Um, so educating the public about these kinds of things or having organizations such as Twitter or whatnot highlight that this may be potentially untrue material or misleading material. Because again, this two-player game, we're, we're often able to build models that are very strongly able to classify whether or not deepfakes are indeed actually fake or like media is a deepfake or is not a deepfake. But again, these changes to the deepfake from some real media may be so imperceptibly small that they're not captured by the human eye, but at least they are capturable by deepfake detectors. And so I think there's a sense of responsibility by organizations in order to do their due diligence on what's published on their platforms, which is a very contentious thing that is, I believe, still going on at the moment that Google, Twitter and Facebook, YouTube, all kinds of other content hosting platforms have been dealing with. Are they responsible for the content that is posted on their platform and the effects as a result? And then I think there's also regulations and and are regulatory agents regulating these organizations in a way that is appropriate so that they are essentially required to keep the public safe from these deep fakes, not just the public, but also society. That is such a good point. And I want to quickly um, unpack that. So in terms of like, you know, the regulation of, of, of AI, um, so what sort of advice would you give policymakers or business leaders who are so grappling with the opportunities and the, the um, challenges with AI? What sort of framework would you say or strategy to make sure like things are aligned in quote unquote an ethical way for AI. This is the, it's a, it's a, it's an easy and it's a tough question in regards that in a lot of ways uh, you can optimize for sheer performance and for a, um, a business that has stakeholders in particular, that's typically to adhere to their fiduciary duty towards their stakeholders, uh, which might be to, in some sense, maximize net profit margin, maximize market share, et cetera. Um, 
But I think what businesses need to, they, they have been doing, and I think that they need to increasingly do is, is incorporate responsibility of AI uh, slash the impacts of AI being used negatively into this uh, type of more traditional of just simply maximizing net profit margin or maximizing market share, et cetera. Uh, they need to realize that these kinds of things actually impact those metrics as well. So, so what I think that these organizations really need to do is, uh, one, they need to identify this as a need and really disseminate that throughout their organizations. Uh, the, the, the need being like the potential for the misuse of models, especially these powerful models in certain ways, exists in these ways. Now, there are certain ways that we've already seen that these organizations should know about and that there are reports about, such as deepfakes, uh, such as inherent biases. So if the model has been trained on certain data that's been biased against particular uh, groups of people uh, that have particular sensitive attributes, such as age, sex, uh, race, then the outputs are almost certainly going to be biased as well against them in the same way because the objective function is to maximize some sort of performance on predictability. I know nowadays there has been a lot of new forms of media, even with music, for example. Um, I see posts where it's like, hey, here's Kanye West performing these other covers and he'll sing a Justin Bieber song. And then the person who created that will claim that's theirs, right? So it kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier. Hey, this is a new form of technology and we're just going to have to figure out ways to uh, go around about, you know, whether it was like the defense mechanism. Uh, this one is also like my question about you is going to be like, IP laws, like the copyright stuff, because technically it is Kanye West's voice for this example's purpose, and it's Justin Bieber's song. Like, do we do something similar how in nowadays our new music, quote unquote, um, you know, there's a lot of samples that's used from like older material and then reworked and then make a completely new single. Is that how it would work? Like, is there going to be royalties that are offered to the people who have helped create that song? or that new art form, you know, like what, what would you say how the copyrights or the IP laws would work, you know? So it, it should, it's, it's, it's a super interesting question actually that um, you're right in that these, these generative models are able to not only just create um, new music, but they're able to have some sort of context such as, like you said, uh, sing a Justin Bieber song in, in uh, Kanye West's voice. And this could even be, you could go even further and say something like, sing a Kanye West song that has lyrics that are like from a brand new song that it's very likely Justin Bieber would have created or that it's likely. And yeah, so now you have two different contexts. Um, and so it's, it's pretty fascinating in a sense. Now you have IP laws for both the, the voice or and the lyrics that are, you know, presumably um, the voice is, again, it's not an exact, it's not an exact like copy, right? It's not an exact replica. It's just, it's, it's a model that's been trained on enough. Maybe you want to break it down into, um, speech, like things like phonemes, uh, and other speech structures that are then able to piece those things together in such a fluid motion, such that it, uh, resembles Kanye West voice in a number of different contexts himself, singing, rapping, can do both. Uh, and then, and then Justin Bieber also having a number of different types of songs from from his uh, 
12 year old days where he sounded a certain way to his post 21 year old days where he sounded a certain way and lyrics of all it's fascinating fascinating question uh it's one that is i won't be able to answer directly because it's out of my scope but again i do think uh this is very important for for regulators as well as um people who are experts within this field of research such as ip law professors and researchers uh think tanks regulators to come together and 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 really even with the input of the artists which i you know they're gonna they're gonna be biased very strongly towards a certain way i believe for the most part um find some sort of ground i'm not gonna say middle but find some sort of ground where it is acceptable to where the benefits outweigh the 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 costs and unfortunately, I don't think that every single party individually is going to be able to maximize their benefit. I think that there's going to be some compromise from each end. And I, I think it's more so what do these experts think now and also going forward is the best way to maximize, uh, in some sense, societal good. But again, you have to keep in mind that there's stuff that as a result of doing that now may actually cause issues downstream, which are, Hey, maybe these singers are less motivated to actually produce music because they're just going to be copied. So, so again, you need to, you need to have these people think not just, you know, one year or even two, five years, but really think, you know, down the road, how do we make some sort of, uh, some sort of plan where that's, that's revisited, frequently enough so that you know we have some prediction maybe of how uh progress is going to go and of course it's always going to veer off a little bit but you know this free this kind of refreshing of this talk so that we don't veer too far off course uh so that it's it's uh, uncorrectable or just that much more difficult to correct i think that that's going to be the case for a lot of these kinds of issues where it's how do we set up a system so that these experts can target something for now, not veer too far off course. I get insights from when they veer off course or as time evolves, uh, new technologies come about and stay true to uh, maximizing some sort of, of good for, for society. I also want to say, just comment the fact that even though like your work client is within the finance space, but you being able to opine on how AI and music actually come together, that, that actually just speaks to your depth of like, you know, understanding of this topic. So I still want to go to while say more like a fun part, you know, everyone has seen like the Terminator um, one thing we've noticed, like the fear factor or the typical prediction about AI is it becomes too intelligent for humanity. Uh, so from your experience, do you feel that is solved in the end? Because I think how AI is to, to describe, again, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's, uh, it's, it's sort of like learns and improves. So it, 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 on that track line, are we saying like, would AI become too intelligent for the people who created it? Is that because I think that's something that's being at the back of people's mind. Are we sort of creating something that we cannot control? Yeah, I think fundamental question, right? Um, and it's a question that's been touched on by authors for, for quite some time, both in, in fiction and in um, 
nonfiction, say, in terms of like hypotheses and potential outcomes, I think the concerns are valid. But I think that at the moment, it is much more controlled than people may think. And for the next several years, we'll continue to be much more controlled uh, than people think. But I want to mention that this is in particular from the standpoint of artificial general intelligence, which is what people are really concerned about is, is, is can this AI become so intelligent in a way that it starts learning say on its own, which in some aspects, technically it already does, but um, on its own in a way that becomes uncontrollable. And we've seen how history has treated entities, intelligent entities that have had, however you want to define it, uh, less intelligent than some other entity. Yeah, typically, the the entity with the most, quote, intelligence uh, is the one that becomes the ruling power. And so, from my understanding and from most uh, leading experts' understandings, um, there is not much of a risk of this sense of artificial general intelligence, but there is currently uh, even a risk of these very large and powerful language uh, models, which are now becoming multimodal, actually, so I shouldn't even just say large language models, confidently answering questions incorrectly, uh, which is a phenomenon known as hallucinations, and also having these inherent biases, uh, which depend on what they're trained upon, the data that they're trained upon. And that's why they have things like feedback loops uh, from humans to say, this is a good answer, this isn't a good answer, that help them train the model over time and become more accurate. But they're still making incorrect predictions. And that is something that I think in the near term, we should be a bit more concerned about. And I think that if if you see the, the title of the call to the letter uh, to pause giant AI experiments for six months, it's it's maybe in line with in some sense, but also doesn't really capture what the essence of the letter itself is, which is that regulatory agencies really need to keep up. So I want to ask you this now, after you're sharing all this information, what do you think? Do you think AI can transform our society for better or worse? I think it can. And I don't know if it has uh, in a lot of ways. It's um, it's something that would be a large survey paper, right? Because we have these things like we have we have AI being applied to healthcare. We're now in many domains, uh, but for concreteness, uh, one being a, an AI classifier can quite easily um, surpass the performance of accurately predicting melanoma as well as other types of tumors um, when it's compared to a group of expert radiologists from an x-ray within a fraction of a second. Now, compare the costs of that, the inference costs the GPU that it's running on. Now compare that to the cost of having 50 expert radiologists take a look at the image and then argue with each other over who's the chief radiologist. <laughs> but more, more, more or less seriously, um, come to a consensus. Uh, and then having to do that for all the numbers of melanoma and other tumors that exist. Uh, imagine being able to do that with um, something that's tracking your, your uh, EKG signals. And being able to very quickly tell you that you're at risk of uh, AFib and predict that you might have a heart attack sometime soon before it actually happens to the point where you might be able to defibrillate yourself, <laughs> which, is, which is incredible, actually. And uh, this is this is stuff that I've seen AI 
quite long ago now, uh, which in AI terms is, is a few years, um, surpassed like what would be seen as by far even more more than reasonable maximal level human performance. I think your vision is that you see it transforming our world for the better. Like the, the pros are outweighing the cons. I think they can. <laughs> but now there's also the case of things like AI in social media. You have children that are stuck on their couch, immobile, zombified, staring at TikTok for four hours at a time because artificial intelligence recommendation systems are giving them the dopaminergic fuel that they need to sustain that viewing, which in turn is really um, messing with their brain uh, so that they're not able to do things that are uh, that require deferred gratification, um, which is generally what is required to do things that society values greatly. Um, and that's impactful in a positive sense to the world. Uh, and again, you have the social media examples, um, otherwise of people going deeper down into, um, the hive mind rather than being, uh, exposed to, uh, differing viewpoints or a diversity of viewpoints. And from a financial standpoint, you have that, well, AI technically can be used to develop models that include sensitive attributes. Uh, and as a result, become ever more biased towards uh, certain groups that have these sensitive attributes in ways that may not allow them to get as good of rates on loans or may not allow them to get loans at all, may not allow them to get uh, credit card approvals at all, or allow them to have the chance to build credit. Um, fortunately, the, the work that I've been on, we identify uh, sensitive attributes to the best of our ability and try to de-bias or go to such a grand level that one, we don't use those attributes um, or we don't even use proxies for those attributes. So to close things off, how can our listeners get connected with you? Yeah. So I want to thank you guys so much for, for having me as a, a guest on the podcast, um, which has been thoroughly entertaining and, and definitely had me thinking um, as well. So for, for ways that you can contact me, um, you can check out my LinkedIn, uh, which has the handle Pernay Pasula, my first and last name. Uh, Twitter is also the same. Uh, Twitter just started one, but I'll be posting uh, some of the latest AI research that aligns with this sense of like towards AGI. And um, also be talking about just interesting applications and, and also AI within finance, since that's, that's really one of the main intersections that I work in. Um, and then you can also visit my personal website at pranayfasula.com, uh, which has some of the projects that I've worked on in the past. And I'll continue updating these so that they are uh, more evergreen than they are at the moment. Awesome. Yeah, definitely looking forward to those and keep it up to date with all your posts because you always have something insightful to share and something interesting because you're on the edge of the, the field. And also to our listeners, I want to ask you all, leave the comments in the below if you think AI is transforming our world for the better or worse. Again, thanks for tuning in today's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you leave us a review on where you listen to your podcast. And don't forget to share this episode on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at dapper.dollars on Instagram and TikTok. And now if you want to get gems like, like this, make sure you head over to dapperdollars.com. Scroll down to our blog to access our show notes from this podcast. And last but not least, don't forget to look good, feel good, do good. See you at the next episode. Bye, y'all.
Thank you.